What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Igebrecht, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going what? on? Oh, you know, just another day in the full household, and it's been uh, it's been a week. Went to Philly over the weekend, ate some really good food, and uh, now we're here getting to talk to probably both of our idols growing up, and I am extremely excited for this episode. It, it's going to be a good Tuesday Night Live. Yeah, I mean, we talked, we, we preluded the show a little bit last week, uh, but super pumped uh, to have Mr. Hank Parker on the show today who uh andy i mean i'm sure hank is used to hearing about it right i mean i'm sure so many people have told him like man grew up watching your show and i'm like it but it's it couldn't be like truer in the fact that dude that's how i got into you know the outdoors growing up was every on the weekends my dad and i get up early and watch his show together in the mornings and we go out to the lake or we go out to the to the woods that type of deal uh never would I ever believe that we get him on a podcast and, but dude, what's cool is I got to share the boat with the guy last year. Got to go catch some bass with Hank. So it's, uh, it's going to be pretty cool to get him on here, talk some stories because I feel like (laughs) when people think of fishing, they think of Hank Parker or the outdoors, they think of Hank Parker. And so it's going to be cool to uh, bring out some stories of his time in the outdoor industry. That's for sure. But uh, one quick thing of business, we're going to get Hank on here. We're not going to waste too much of his time because we appreciate him taking time out to talk to us, uh, is the Serious Angler and Business from the Bass Boat hats are finally in. They're in, and they, we, are, we shipped a bunch of them already. If you guys want any, it's at our website. Link's down in the description if you guys want to get yourself a hat. But, uh, Andy, I think without further ado, we need to get yeah. him on here. Yeah, we shouldn't uh, blabble too long. Like, no. Bring the star on of the evening. So I'm, I'm really excited for this. Heck yeah. Well, without further ado, let's introduce Mr. Hank Parker. What's going on, Hank? You got us? Uh Uh-oh. Everything worked great before the show, right? (laughs) Now we're having audio issues. (laughs) We can't hear you now. Let's see. You might just have to go into settings at the bottom and then go into audio and then choose his mic. Here we go. We'll, We'll pop... We'll pop you out here in a second. Can you hear us now? Okay, here. So here what we'll do. We'll work on this. Uh, we'll get you down in the queue, Hank. Uh, we'll get you. Uh, of course. Of course. Okay. Not. <laughs> we go live. Um, Everything is working great. Go figure. So, oh, Hank, you have to go into your uh, settings and then your audio and then just select uh, your mic for your, your phone. And then that should work perfect. But uh, in the meantime, this one's going to be pretty cool because we're going to try to break open some stories that he's seen along his travels. Um, I mean, there's when you guys think that just because the pro anglers travel a lot. I mean, yeah, as oh. if you're in the industry, you're traveling all the dang time. And this is it's it's pretty incredible to uh, see how much this guy's still rocking and rolling. Let's see if we, we can get him here. You got us now, Hank. You got us? Nope. Oh, no. Why is the audio when we go live here? Let's see. I'm trying to think here. You got us now? 
<laughs> oh, technology, man. as we're talking about it off air, right? Like we're talking about how technology is great when you don't need it to work. And when mm-hmm. you need it to work, it uh, always fails. It never fails to fail. Like it just, I think that's its favorite thing to do is fail. I just love how it's literally working the second before we go live. Yeah. And then now it's, we got it to work. And then <laughs> this is where we need to have some, some gurus in the house. I can, we're, we're no Joe Rogan over here. Yeah. It, it's just settings on the iPhone when, for whatever reason, it happened to me one time too. You have to go into settings, then hit audio and then choose the iPhone mic. I believe it is to talk through. Either way, we'll figure this out and we'll get uh, we'll get Hank back here in the conversation. But uh, he's going to pop out and pop back in. We'll try to get him back in here. Um, we got a lot of people joining the conversation. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate the uh, the patience. I promise this was working literally two minutes ago before, before we got Hank on the show. But uh, real fast, Andy, you know, tell the folks, you know, what one what's going down in regards to you, if they can get some small mouth trips. Uh, and also what might be coming up for uh, Redcrest. Oh, yeah. So we do leave t- next Tuesday. Let's just start there, right? Like we leave next Tuesday. Bailey and I will be flying together on a flight to Charlotte for the Redcrest Expo. We'll be probably having some podcast stuff, walking around the Expo, chatting up with people. So if you're in North Carolina and Charlotte, make sure you stop and say hi to us. Um, we're really looking forward to being there. It's just going to be Bailey and I, um, no Deacon for this one. Unfortunately, I will miss the classic this year due to a lot of life events that are happening all at the same time. It seems like so Bailey and Deacon will be at the classic, but, um, what exactly as we're waiting here, make sure Hank is good. What exactly do you think we'll be doing at the, at Redcrest Bailey? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, we're we got Hank pop back in here now, so we're gonna try it one more time, and then we can talk about that here at the end. Let's yeah. see if we can test here. Hank, you got us now. Hey guys, I'm out. Hey, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> we conquered technology. <laughs> oh lord. Oh man. oh man, Hank, for real. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out and uh, also conquering technology here as it's thrown every hurdle our way. <laughs> Oh, man. oh, we're here. Uh, and, and Hank, to, to really kick it off, one, again, thank you a ton for, for joining us here. But for everybody that is new to the show, uh, we always like to throw it back to the very beginning, the, the first bass you caught, the first, you know, the first fish, the first tug that, that started the lifelong addiction and who was to blame for, for causing that addiction. So, you know, how did you get your start in fishing, and, and who's to blame for, for this lifelong career in the fishing industry? Well, my dad my grandpa took me fishing when I was about three years old. But actually, the bass that got me hooked forever was uh, my brother caught it. We snuck in this farm pond, and he threw a big old Hawaiian wiggler, and it sounded like a cement block when it hit the water. And as soon as they hit the water, about a five-pound bass, which I didn't know they grew that big. I was about nine years old. And uh, that big five-pound bass just got me going, brother. I have never got over it. I'm still excited about throwing a big Hawaiian wiggler. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of what a Hawaiian wiggler is. Can you oh, give us a rough explanation? Come on. A Hawaiian wiggler was a big old lead head, and it had a rubber skirt on it like a hula popper, much like a spinnerbait today. 
and had an inline spinner on the front of it. It was a pretty cool bait, really. It still catch fish today. It's uh, somewhere probably between a spinner bait and a chatter bait. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty dang cool. I just looked it up. It's pretty wild looking. It kind of looks like a squid, <laughs> but like a weird triangular nose cone to it. Yeah, that was old Fred Arbogast, you know. They had some wild stuff, hula popper and jitterbug and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. jitterbug. I think that was the first lure I ever caught a bass on was either a jitterbug or like a green pepper salamander with the chartreuse tail. I don't remember exactly which one it was. I just remember it was a good one in a pond at a campground. Uh, that big old musky jitterbug uh, is a heck of a night bait in the south right now. They catch a lot of big giant bass on that thing in the summertime. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, obviously you get hooked from there. I mean, starting off with a five-pounder, you were – I mean, it's hard to start going up from there. I mean, most people, they start with bluegills or something like that, and they work their way up to big bass. But you started with the big bass. Well, uh, I was I was a big bluegill fisherman. And, uh, and I started that when I was three and I was probably about nine years. So I was six years into my fishing career when my brother caught that five pounder on the Hawaiian wiggler. <laughs> That's awesome. So where along that line, did you start getting into to bass fishing tournaments? Well, you know, I, uh, as a kid, I started reading about, uh, rolling and, and Bill dance and Blake Honeycutt and John Powell, and of course, Ray Scott got that thing started in 1968. Uh, I was 15 years old when I first saw anything about Bassmaster, you know, and then uh, about 69, I thought, man, this is for me. I'm going to make a living bass fishing. So I saw Blake Honeycutt down there at Ufall, Alabama, that big string of bass. He had 138 pounds, and back in the old 15 bass limit days. And I said, that's me right there, brother. So I was about 16 when I decided that's going to be my fate. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I know like some, some folks will say that you had a relatively you know shorter career compared to most because you, you took the exit and you had the TV show and really lived in the industry uh, I was always curious, and I, I meant to ask you this last year when we were fishing, uh, but what was what was your reason to leave and kind of go chase the TV show route of things? Well, you know, things have changed dramatically from the time I started. Bill Vance is the one guy that got things going in the way of sponsor money coming to professional fishermen. He was the first guy to pull that off. And prior to Dance, most of the marketing was done by lure companies and rod and reel manufacturers working with outdoor riders. So when I came along, I was about five years behind Bobby Murray and Dance and, and uh, Ricky Green and those guys. I was about five years behind. So I came in at a time where the industry wasn't really, really, really sure uh, that you were worth the kind of money that you needed to have to be able to travel and make a living. So you had to earn your stripes. You had to earn and prove that you could create enough market uh, to justify what you were asking for in the way of sponsorship. So 
the only way you could do that is really be chummy with a bunch of outdoor riders, get articles in Bassmaster, get articles in Sports of Field and Field and Stream and Outdoor Life at that time. And I kind of did that for like five years. And uh, after a while, you become a little redundant to these outdoor riders. So the only way I could really be in control of my own destiny was to have my own media. Well, the only media I could have was television. So once I got involved in television, I dedicated so much time to sponsors and and TV that uh, I couldn't give 100% when I was fishing competitively, and that bothered me. Even though I had great years, 1989 was my last year, and uh, I had a great year. Should have won Angler of the Year and the Classic. I had a big lead in Angler of the Year with two tournaments to go and uh, tore up a boat at Lake Livingston and didn't make the weigh-in and ended up costing me Angler of the Year. But I had a great year, but in my heart, I wasn't happy because I knew I wasn't giving 100%. And that just, I couldn't wait to retire from competitive fishing or TV. One had to go. And uh, so I was making a living fishing uh, on television, and I wasn't I wasn't going to be able to make near the kind of money I was making in TV by fishing a tournament. So I chose go home and raise my kids and uh, do my television. I expect yeah. the heck out of that. Me yeah. too. Awesome. Well, and you get to choose where you go fish, what you go fish for, and when you want to go fish. So that's kind of a little perk too. Yeah. I like that. You know, I re- I retired at 36. Most guys are just getting started at 36. So, uh, I was uh, I was fishing my very best and retired at 36. But I uh, I accomplished what I wanted to when I fished the tournaments, and I had some great years. And uh, it really uh, catapulted me to the opportunity to make a great living. And it, it's been a you know it's been a storybook career for me. I mean every thing has just fell in place and i've lived the dream for real so it, it all worked out i would say so so but uh, i want to step back for a second and talk about lake livingston i was watching a bass university episode earlier with Pete luzak and i think you guys were talking at the classic and he brought up um a thing where he called you notorious for tearing up stuff can you uh, talk about that a little bit, how you ripped the lower unit off at Lake Livingston? I did. I actually tore up two boats. I tore mine up the first day and my partner's the second day. So <laughs> it was not a good tournament for me. I didn't weigh in the first two days. I didn't weigh in until the last day of that tournament. I had a 40-pound lead in Anglia going there and came out eight pounds behind Gary Klein. I mean, give me a break. But <laughs> Oops. <laughs> We had no track back. We had no maps, paper maps, and there was a place there called the jungle. And uh, Bailey, you and I were talking about you fishing at Santee Cooper, and you put in at a ramp, and you fished all this creek area. That's what I did in practice. And then trying to get back there uh, to where I put in in the back of this jungle, it was just... It was impossible. I've, I've learned that. I, I, some guys made it, but I did not make it. Uh, I hit stumps that were about that far under the water, and it just annihilated. My It took my lower unit completely off. I had nothing. Hey, you're lucky the motor didn't rip up and spin. 
Yeah, it hit hard enough and it just clipped it right off. But yeah, it's pretty dangerous. Uh, try not to do that if I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm curious how the conversation went when you tore your partner's boat up. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! I've had some good conversations. I uh, I had a guy one time we were crossing Lake Ontario and uh, I handed him a washcloth and he said, "What is that for?" I said, "Roll it up." put it in your mouth it'll keep you from knocking your teeth out and uh gary uh ken cook and guy Aker came over and they said what are you fixing to do i said i'm fixing to go across this this lake he said you can't make it we've already been out there you'll die if you go out in that what lake it's uh it's like nine foot rollers i said i don't care if it's 12 foot rollers i'm going and uh, i'd rather die trying to cross that lake and I said sit here in this river and not make the way in and so I left and it was the worst boat ride you can only imagine and when we made it to Cape Vincent on the other side of Lake Ontario my partner looked at me and he said that's the scariest I've ever been I said yeah it was me too I said when we got right there at the mouth of Reed Bay and all the big boulders kept popping up on both sides of the boat I said I knew if we hit one of those boulders we were gone and I said, that was the scariest part. He said, oh, no, the scariest part was the look in your eyes when you told Guy Aker you'd rather die and not make the way. <laughs> oh, man. Especially when you're riding shotgun. Like, it's not him saying it. It was you that said it. <laughs> He's like, I got to trust him with my life. <laughs> oh, you're geez. content with it, but I'm not. <laughs> Oh, we had good times back in those days. We had good times, and we had partners that were less dedicated sometimes than we were. And those four guys went through a lot of grief, you know. I mean, I'm going, brother. I don't care if it's seven, eight, nine, ten footers. I'm going. We got to go. So uh, a lot of guys didn't like that too good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, so, so you mentioned right there, you got like you know back then you got to see there's there's a lot of you didn't have maps. You weren't really like it was a lot of like using your your primal instincts to really one find your way around. Like there was, you couldn't rely on your fish finder anymore to get you back home. You know where you launch, and you know it was a. So you, you've seen a lot of where the the industry has grown, and I, I'm really curious. You know, in, in current day, it's a lot of uh, like for Andy or myself or guys that are currently on tour. Like it's a lot of looking back at the past and trying to like, we're, I feel like we're in a transition stage now in regards to the industry of people trying to do things that are unique because so many different things have been done, which has been started by guys like yourself. But so I'm curious, you know, back then when you got your start in the industry, especially like when you made your jump to do TV instead of tournament fishing, like back then there were so many, I feel like there were so many different opportunities where if you made that leap for, for TV or something else, it, no one has done it at that point yet. Like you were probably one of the first ones to, make that switch what was it like maneuvering the industry and making decisions that no one else has done before because i feel like nowadays everyone's done just about everything you know we had i had done that fishing tournament you know we went to lake pal in arizona and uh we were just like three years from six gallon gas tanks you know i mean all of a sudden now uh 1979 we had built in 18 gallon gas tanks well uh, we would fly the lake in an airplane, and I saw while we uh, where we were taking off, and I saw a bullfrog uh, way up 
the, the lake and uh, we calculated the miles by air and it was like 84, 85 miles one way. So we're going to run 170 miles. We only had 18 gallons of gasoline. So uh, we got these NASCAR bladder tanks. You know, NASCAR, uh, they have a, they have a, a puncture-proof uh, bladder that they put inside of a, a, a fiberglass shell, and that's their fuel cell. Well, we got those NASCAR bags, uh, bladder tanks, and we would fill them up and put them in the bottom of the boat and run up there. And uh, then we run halfway back. Then we could switch back to our 18 gallon and, and make it. But we were burning 45, 50 gallons of fuel a day. So everything you improvised because none of it had ever been done before. Nobody had ever done that kind of crazy thing, run 160 or 70 miles in a bass boat uh, in competition. So I was pretty used to, you know, playing off the cuff and and doing things spontaneously and uh, doing innovative things that never been done before and so the step from the industry standpoint to television it was just kind of a routine deal by that time because I'd been doing it in the tournaments for you know seven eight years yeah that must have been an interesting time frame to be especially like tournament fishing when it comes to like you figure out a way that no one else knows of getting an advantage here and there. Then they go and slap a rule on that. And you're like, well, I got to go figure out something else. Like, I feel like that had been ever like, and it was probably new rules almost every year, if not every couple of years. Oh, not every year, every tournament. There was some new rules. <laughs> no, there's about eight Roland Martin rules. I think there's two, two Hank Parker rules, but there's eight or nine Roland Martin rules. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh, it was crazy stuff, you know. You can't get out of your boat. Uh, you know, that's a Roland Martin rule. Uh, except if you get stuck to get out. If you could jump a beaver dam and get in the lake, into a backwater lake, then it's okay to get out to push the boat off coming back. But you can't push the boat off going in. So uh, it was all kind of little rules you had to play by the game. So you get your 80-mile-an-hour run and start and jump a beaver dam <laughs> got in that could work your way out <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> that's good so thing they were both they were built pretty well back then as in the fiberglass boats it sounds well, like uh, we had outdoor riders in the bathmaster classic and i think uh maybe 84 or 85 i was at uh we were fishing i believe it's 84 we were fishing uh, pine bluff arkansas the arkansas river and uh, I had uh, I had jumped this uh, this dam and got into this pond and done pretty well in practice. I got about thirteen bites. So I had uh, his last name was Aker, and I can't remember the press writer's name, but it was something Mr. Aker, and he was from New Jersey, and he was probably seventy five years old at the time. And I got a running start, and I mean we hit bottom so hard it threw him completely out over the bow. In the water, I thought I killed him. It scared me to death. I mean, I thought he was gone. But oh my God. So, wow! So here's where the notorious tearing stuff up part keeps coming back to us. He said, "We're not going to do that again, are we?" I said, "I'm afraid so. We didn't make it." I'm afraid so. <laughs> oh gosh, that's incredible. Crossed it up. <laughs> 
as he strapped himself in. It sounds like we're one step away from seatbelts and bass boats. Well, yeah, I still think they're a great idea. I really do. I mean, if you flip it, unfortunately, you might be in trouble. But uh, I think there's a lot more danger getting thrown out than it is flipping one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Oh, man. That's incredible. Or like a roller coaster roll bar that comes down and just kind of presses against your lap and have like an emergency release valve. <laughs> you, uh, you might have something there. You may not want to talk about that till you look in. Oh, that's too funny. Great. So, so you're talking about, uh, you know, being able to innovate and bring a lot of new things to the industry. I know, Andy, you had a great question in regards to the spinnerbait. Yeah, so the man's Hank Parker spinnerbait, right? So when it was designed, you know, a lot of spinnerbaits have the R, the R eyelet on it. Why did you have that one designed with the closed loop circle? You cannot uh, do an R bend on 29 thousandths wire. It is too thin, and so if you go up to, you need about 32 thousandths in order to do an R-band, and to do that, you lose all the vibration and what that bait really brings to the table. There's a lot of things in that bait that people don't realize, and we're about six weeks from having that bait back on the market. I've talked with Mans, uh, and we're rebuilding that bait exactly the way it was, and uh, so we're going to do a relaunch on that bait in about six weeks. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Heck so, yeah. and, and for the viewers that aren't listening, I mean, with spinnerbaits, there's like three or four different size wires that they can be built on from the thinnest one giving off the most vibration to the thickest one being less vibration, but way more durable. So when it's twisted up and you have that closed loop, does that increase the durability of that wire so it doesn't break as easily as well? No, well, it does compared to an R-bend on that thin of a wire. If you put an R-bend on that thin of a wire, it would break just, I mean, you can't flex it back and forth. So that, uh, that tie and that circle did, uh, uh, did give it more strength from that standpoint. But the trade-off that you get um, for the 29,000th wire, and that's a piano-grade wire, same wire they put in, in – uh, musical instruments and it it is a very very tempered it's strong it's very very strong but still when that thing flexes next to that head after you catch eight or nine bass you pretty much wear it out i, mm -hmm. I used to i used to fish tournaments and i did my bottom of my boat would have quite a few spinnerbaits in the bottom that uh i wouldn't use them anymore in a tournament once i caught 10 fish on it i retired it and then I would use it in practice, and I'd use it when I fish for fun. But I wouldn't use it once I caught ten. I cut that spinnerbait off and put another one on. It, it sounds pretty uh, reckless, though, to have all those spinnerbaits on the floor jumping dams with uh, yeah, seventy-five-year-old like co-pilots. Uh, I like reckless. I think <laughs> there's a continuing pattern we have here, Bailey. <laughs> That's why he's my full dad, of stories. My, my yeah. daddy told me when I was just a little boy, after trying to make the same turn 14 times on a bicycle and wrecked all 14 times, and the 14th time I hit my head on the handlebars and I started crying, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that not the exact same place you failed the other 13 times? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, buddy, if you're going to be stupid, you're going to have to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> I love Great that. 
That is a great life lesson. <laughs> if only that was still true today. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the things I'm curious about, because you know, when we got to talk last year and we got to sit down and have some meals and you're still always on the road. Even when I talked to you, was on, we were on the phone last week. You're always going and speaking at different events and doing media junkets with your sponsors and always taking time out, which actually, let me go back here really fast. There was a comment here uh, from somebody live that mentioned uh, from ZOD Gaming. He said he uh, he really wants to thank you for your work with veterans and children. So he has both veterans and the disadvantaged children in his family, and it means a lot to him. Um, you're all over the place. So. With that, I, I'm very curious, you know, with all of your travels, you've got to see some wild stuff. Is there anything that stands out top of mind of some of the things you've seen in your travels? You know, it's all good. And we talk about veterans and children. And uh, I did this past week. I was in Montgomery, Alabama at a place called The Waters over on Pike Road. And uh, it was Catch a Dream uh, Foundation. Uh, I had five kids there. Uh, and we fished and caught brim and catfish, and we had uh, we had five rap boats, and we put those kids in those rap boats, and everybody got around uh, on both sides, and they had a little podium there that they had a weigh-in. So we drove them through as if they were in the Bassmaster Classic. Man, it was That's the most awesome. awesome thing. Those kids, so you know, cool. some of them were as young as seven and i think the oldest may have been 13 or so so it really lit them up and that was pretty wild uh but it was so awesome and uh it's uh it's really good to give back and uh it almost is anti-climatic to go fishing by yourself and catch fish uh after fishing with one of these kids or a veteran that uh so deserving and they're so appreciative for the opportunity. So I love doing that and it, 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 it thrills them, but I think it thrills me even more. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can't I can't relate to your level, but I could say that like whenever you, you take a younger sibling or a friend fishing for the first time and you see, that light up, you know, when they catch their first fish or they catch a nice fish, that type of deal. It's almost more fun watching them catch fish than it is for you to catch fish. It really is. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Well, so, so in your travels, you know, is there anything that comes top of mind of like some of the craziest stuff you've seen while on the road? Well, one of my funniest stories is, you know, I had the first hummingbird uh, built, uh, enclosed boat trailer looked like a NASCAR trailer and uh, I had a big uh, Suburban that was graphically designed and painted to match the big enclosed trailer and we had a tournament at Bistano, Louisiana and uh, I looked on the map and I found a ramp up the river so I trailered up there not having a clue that this ramp was on a 14 mile dirt road that was barely wide enough to get the trailer down and so when I finally got to the ramp, uh, there was a uh, there was a local Cajun guy there. And uh, when I rolled up, he said, "Ooh, look what we done got here, yeah, man! The circus has come to town. Lord have mercy! You done broke your house." 
house trailer down here. What you got in that thing? I said, that's my boat. My, oh, you got a, Lord, you got a boat in that house trailer. You got to show me that thing. So uh, I walked him through and showed him everything in the, the top slid open and the bottom slid. And you back that thing down. And I had uh, cabinets in there full of rods and reels and line and spooling station. And I had all this stuff. And it was about as nice a thing as you've ever seen. And so I put in and my, I got a big hummingbird boat that matches the Suburban and matches the trailer. And it's all graphically first wrap boat in the history of bass. And uh, so Jimmy Houston and I both had one. So I, uh, I fished, and by fate, I came in at the same time he came in. And he had an old Cypress dugout Piru, and he rolls in there, and he's got a string of fish in that bottom of that boat. He's got Sakale, uh, which is a crappie. He's mm-hmm. got uh, mudfish. He's got three or four giant bass, five, six, seven-pound bass, all on a big stringer. And he said, "Woo! I know you done caught a hundred of them, boss man. How many did you catch? And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to be totally honest with you, sir. I did not get a bite. <laughs> and he, he looked at me and he said, well, you sure look good coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So how did you get the boat out of the trailer? Like, how does that work? Uh, the top would slide open. That way, when the boat floated up, you know, it wouldn't hit the top. And then there was a plate at the back, and it slid forward. And uh, that way, you lower unit, and you could. And it was just like a, uh, a trailer that you drive on in there. And um, it was about 30 feet long, so it took a big ramp to turn that thing around. And I was in a bit of a bind there where I was, but. It worked out. We got it in the water, but I just soon not because I didn't catch a fish. But I finished fourth in that tournament. I learned a lot, uh, but I didn't catch them that particular day. Hmm. That's incredible. I'm trying to picture that. Why have I not seen? I got to look that up. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I feel like the second coming to that trailer was when Ranger decided to try and build like a hard top travel case for the ranger boats would be like the second generation of that i would assume yeah they uh forrest uh he didn't particularly like that uh because you didn't get to see the boat and so when you trailer for three hundred thousand miles a year uh it's a lot of exposure on the highway so in order to do justice to forrest who was my hero and my greatest friend and biggest sponsor I painted, we did the graphic work of the boat on the side of the trailer. And we, we painted the Ranger stripes on the boat. And uh, he was happy then. That's really cool. Heck yeah. We, uh, we had a viewer, a fan of the show, uh, reach out to us when he knew you were coming on. Uh, and he wanted us to ask you about your friendship with, uh, with Dale Earnhardt. And I'm curious if that sparked any of your your madness from the bass boat of trying to fly back in any of these. Uh, I'm doing a YouTube throwback. So we're looking back at our old shows. And I've been working on the Earnhardt show. And that's going to be our first show. And I look back at that and it's... Uh, it's it's really hard to do that. Uh, I did I did 
Ray Scott, I've done Forrest, and I've done Ray, and I've, I've done Dale, and um, all those guys are gone. And it's really, really hard. Oh, no. Right to the good part. Hopefully, maybe he got a call. Yeah. Let's see. It's frozen on our end. Let's let's see if we can get him both back. He might have gotten called or texted. I know Technology. that happens sometimes with the phone. That was right. We're getting to the good part, too. Mm. Let's see. Yeah, I'm assuming it was probably a phone call because he went black for a second, so we'll take him out. But I... I heard there was like I don't know if there's any truth to this though, and when he comes back on, I want to ask him about it or kind of have him elaborate it. But I heard he drove like one of Earnhardt's cars or Junior's cars and like wrecked it. And I want to hear that story because I think that'd be quite interesting. Because I mean, the whole thing keeps going back to the beginning of just being notoriously reckless, and I, <laughs> I find this amazing. So yeah. Like, and, the, and I, I, I'm trying to remember, uh, it's an avid listener that mentioned this in our DMS. So I apologize. Um, I forget uh, your username. Otherwise I'd give you the credit. Um, but I, either way, either way, it's not me that it came up with this, but he mentioned that. Um, and one thing to mention I have here in the notes is that that episode with Dale is coming out on Hank's YouTube channel in June. What we'll do is we'll add Hank's, YouTube channel. Um, obviously, if you're on YouTube or you're listening to a later date, you can search Hank's name in YouTube and find his YouTube channel. Highly, highly encourage you guys to go watch this. Some really great episodes. He has an episode out with Clay Dyer. Um, really good one. I'm a big fan of his channel. But it, that'll come out in June. So his his throwback episode with, with Dale Earnhardt will be uh, in June. So I think we might have him back here. Let's see. We got you All back, right, Hank. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> we we're just getting to the good part. So I, I remember right, you. So you start talking about your, yeah, your throwback episode with Dale. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it was really difficult. We were at North Wilkesboro Speedway where we opened the show. He ended up winning the race, and we fished uh, in between him qualifying. And uh, we fished on Friday, he qualified on Thursday, and then he raced on Sunday and won the race. So it didn't get much better than that. And uh, we just had a lot of fun. And, and Dale was a great, great guy. He was an awesome fisherman, but he's one of the best deer hunters I've ever seen. He had a set of eyes. He could blood trail like nobody in the world. I've never seen anybody could even come close to him. Uh, he, he was quite the outdoorsman and a great, great guy. That's incredible. Andy, I know you, you had a question in regards so, to Dale. Is there any truth to the fact that you wrecked one of his NASCARs? One of our viewers uh, sent us a question in on Instagram and wanted us to ask you that. Did I wreck one of Dale Earnhardt's race cars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrecked three of them, but I bought them before I wrecked Three! <laughs> three! <laughs> That's incredible. My wife used to tell my children, I raced late model for 10 years. And my wife would tell my children, now, daddy's going to wreck, but he don't ever get hurt. <laughs> oh, my God. So we have, a, we have a perfect comment here from, from Michael Bradley that says, moral of the story, don't let Hank borrow your stuff. 
yeah. I'm a lot better today than I was then. I've outgrown some of that stuff. <laughs> some, 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 some. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's man. incredible. Uh, so, Hank, one of the things uh, that I'm really curious about is you've had an incredible career. Uh, and I think you, obviously we talked about the accolades and I think just about everyone has listed those, but I'm really curious uh, if there was ever anybody that gave you, like, if there was advice or a moment that really helped steer your career in this industry from, cause obviously you've been very successful. You've always had this, this great mantra about yourself, always held your head, head high. And I think that's why a lot of people admire you. Um, and so I'm really just curious if there was ever, uh, someone that gave you an advice, uh, so a piece of advice, or if there was a moment along that timeline that really helped steer the rest of your career where you are today. Forrest Wood was such a hero to me and I overheard Forrest. He didn't realize I could hear him, but Ham Hamburger was the president of Mercury Outboards in 1979 when I won the Bassmaster Classic and, uh, Forrest was uh, my biggest supporter. Forrest had done a lot for me at that point in time in my life. And Ham Hamburger had asked Forrest, said, what kind of guy is Hank Parker? And uh, Forrest uh, said some real nice things about me. And, uh, but he said, now we'll know way more about Hank Parker uh, than we've ever known uh, the true way to test one's character is to give him success. And now he just, uh, uh, 26 years old and just won the Bathmaster Classic. We'll, we'll find out what a kind of guy he really is now that he is a champion fisherman. We'll see. And I, Forrest didn't realize I heard that, but it, uh, I'm so glad that I did. And I've thought about that oftentimes when uh, you you want to get a little cockier or, or you get a little arrogant or you get too big for your britches. Uh, you, you stop and you think, man, I'm not any better than anybody that's ever fished or done anything. And so humility is, uh, is a big part of who I want to be and what I want to be. I always want to be equal to the lowest guy on the totem pole, the bottom run of the ladder. I never want to be that guy up on the top of the ladder. So when Forrest told that to Ham Hamburger, he said, we'll see what kind of character he has now, now that he has success. Uh, that really impacted me. And I'm so glad that I'm, I overheard that. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like that's something that really sticks to you in regards to when you get in situations from of trying to get some clarity, you know, upstairs in the noggin that you, you almost replay that in your head when you're about to get in a situation or something's presented itself to you. And that kind of helps you almost get a lay of the land, if that makes sense of how, how should I maneuver this? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate all the bass fishermen that take the time out for the fans. You know, I can got a really bad rap for being, uh, uh, a hothead and, and being arrogant. And, uh, but I've seen Mike Iaconelli myself with my own eyes. I've seen him stand after the classic was over or after a big event was over and sign autographs to kids for an hour, two hours. 
you know he's tired, you know he wants to leave, and whether he did well in the event or didn't, I've seen him both ways, just sit there and sign. So I admire all the guys that do that, and I appreciate that. And that's what really makes our sport, I think, so neat is we have a lot of good guys involved in this sport. Yeah, and and, and in line with that, too, like the our pros in this sport, the tournament anglers, a lot of the who these kids idolize these days are so much more accessible than other other athletes in other sports like where you can't just go and you can't go and talk to you know lebron james after a game but you can go to an elite event and talk to brandon polinick for hours on end afterwards and, and i completely agree in regards to ike i've seen countless times or that trade shows or what have you doing the same thing you're talking about and i think personally from coming from a being a hothead my, myself growing up playing sports I, I look at that as passion. That is raw passion, and I, I completely respect it, especially from, from somebody like Ike and then being able to switch on a dime. I respect that because I couldn't switch on a dime. I was the guy that wouldn't talk for the rest of the day after I got mad. But, yeah, it's it's incredible to see some of the, the pioneers like yourself in the sport. So I, I, get, I really appreciate that. Well, I think that is one reason we, we have come as long and as far as we have come. It has been a uh, – uh, it's been a lot of interesting characters and a lot of great characters and a lot of people that took a lot of time and and uh, shared that with others. And that that's the thing about, you know, these guys now um, on television, they're showing uh, they're they're showing their hand. So uh, next week, the guy may just take what they learned from watching them on TV and beat him. You know, so uh, there are no secrets. It, it's all out on the table. And it's a matter of execution and, uh, and, and being, uh, being in control and friendly. And that's how you get sponsors. And uh, it doesn't matter if you win every bass tournament in the world. If you don't have enough popularity and notoriety and credibility, uh, to be honest with, um, with the consumer uh, and increase sales for any company, then it doesn't do you a bit of good. So, uh you're no value to a company if you can't increase sales. And that's what we're, we're supposed to do. And you do that by being able to communicate with people and, uh, uh, and building credibility, telling the truth. Don't, um, don't sell something that you don't believe, believe in just to make a dollar. Especially these days. It is very, very easy to tell when someone's not telling the truth. Like you said, it's all out there. Like we're watching you live. Use one thing. Yeah. Completely agree. You, you can't run a bluff with your card showing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's fair. We have we have a great comment here uh, from the peg leg fisherman uh, asking you what you think of Kevin Van Dam's last season. You just announced that he's retiring from tournament fishing this year. I think it's really bad because I keep calling him a kid. <laughs> the, the guys I call kids are now retiring. What does that make me? A dinosaur, I guess. So, uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's good, and I'm proud for Kevin. He's proven everything that he needs to prove. He has nothing left. He's one of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest, that ever fished the sport. And uh, he has... Uh, he has earned my respect for absolute sure, and uh, I think it's good. He's got kids that are out of college now. It's amazing how fast his career went by from a 
from a spectator standpoint, but uh, he he needs time with his family and he needs some uh, some downtime. He's competed for 33 years, I believe. And man, that's a grind. People that have never done it will never know how much mental pressure is involved in that. And the more accomplished you are, the more pressure it is because you're always trying to live up to expectations. I know when I first started fishing tournaments, one of the first years that I fished, I finished 21st in a tournament, uh, like my first tournament. And I finished like 19th. And then I finished like 18th. And I had people calling me and telling me how great I was and how awesome that is. And then my last year on the tournament circuit, I'd finish fourth and they say, I oh, don't let it get you down. You'll get them next time. <laughs> so <laughs> it's crazy how that changes. And so you got all this pressure. Once you start winning, everybody expects that. And you unfortunately expect that of yourself. So mm -hmm. man, it's a lot of pressure. I can only imagine the pressure that Kevin's been under and with all the moving targets of major league fishing versus bass and, restructuring on on catching numbers versus five and now going back to five i mean it has been a roller coaster uh uh for him and uh man i'm glad to see him step up and say okay you know 33 years is enough i'm gonna go live my life now yeah i completely agree i i think for for him like it's it's got to feel like almost like a, a weight off your shoulders when you don't have to do that tournament grind where and I'm sure you can relate to it where you got out of tournament fishing and you're like, now I can focus on the TV show, my business ventures, and I get to choose the, the alley that I get to go down. What I did not realize when I retired, I did not realize how occupied my mind was with fishing. Once I said, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm only going to do my television show. I found myself not really knowing what to do mentally. Because every minute of every day for 15 years, I was looking at the next lake and figuring out what I was going to do and working on this bait and changing this and doing this. All of a sudden, just boom, I didn't do that anymore. And so I didn't even know what I was supposed to think about because it, you don't even realize that even though we're fishing Santee Cooper this week, next week we got Gunnersville. So the minute Santee's done, I mean, five seconds after that weigh-in, all I'm doing is thinking about Gunnersville. What am I going to do? How am I going to punch that grass? What am I going to do here? Where am I going to go? Boom, boom. And the second Gunnersville over, we're traveling to Thousand Islands in New York, and immediately you're thinking, boy, how am I going to transition to these smallmouth? I'm going to do this. And so your mind is just constantly occupied with setting strategies for a tournament. Never turns off. Always going. And while you might not be physically, I mean, obviously when your day's in the water, that's physically exerting, but when your mind never turns off, that becomes very exhausting, especially when you can go through burnout, especially as a tournament angler. It, it is. And, and, you know, everybody expects KVD to win every tournament. So <laughs> I know he's really been under the gun. So good for him. And, and I, I wish him absolutely the best and he'll always be my hero. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Now, for for somebody that is 
getting their start, say they're in college or getting out of college and they love to pursue a career in the fishing industry, what's one piece of advice you'd have for them? Good one. Well, it's a lot of moving targets right now. And you can't do what everybody else has already done and be successful. You got to come up with a new method, a new way. You got to catch fish, but you've got to figure out how to hook up with somebody you can help grow a market, whether it's a heating and air conditioning business, whether it's an automobile dealership, whether it's a tire store, there's got to be a different avenue for figuring out how to get financial aid. The lure manufacturers are maxed. The bait uh, industry is maxed. The rod and reel companies are maxed. It, it's hard to find a little hole to get in there and, and make a living. So you, you need to be creative. Uh, maybe come up with your own lures. Maybe come up with your own sunglasses. Maybe come up with something that you have some ownership in that you can catapult with your, your success on the tournament circuit to generate revenue because the doors are hard to get open uh, the traditional method. And the bad part is uh, Bill Dance has still got sponsors. Jimmy Houston still got sponsors. Hank Parker has still got sponsors after all these years because our notoriety has grown rather than waned and we're worth more now than, uh, than we were 10 years ago. So we never go away. And that'll be true with KVD. When KVD leaves, he'll still have all these Strike King baits he endorses. He'll still have all his opportunities with Bass Pro. So there's no door going to be opened by him exiting the tournament circuit. It, it's nothing there. So the challenge for guys today is to figure out how to get a relationship with somebody, uh, whether it's a soft drink company, uh, uh, anything outside of the box. But everything inside of the box is currently occupied. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And it goes back to uh, differentiating between your start in the industry where not a lot has been done and being able to pave that path where now it's, People have, it's, it's very saturated now where like you, you think one thing you mentioned of being, being creative and really trying to be unique in this is probably the only lane you have to separate yourself. And I would argue that nowadays there's such a mold that is, is been done so many times that folks that are allowed that let the public see their true colors and who they are are the people that shine the brightest. Yeah. Uh, you know, and another thing that is happening is there is a tackle overload. If you walk into Bass Pro or Cabela's and just walk down every single aisle and you look at all the colors, the shapes, the size, the swim baits, the jigs, I mean, it is a massive overload of, of product. There is so much stuff and it's hard to keep up with it. You know, I, I, I like fishing with everything. People say, well, I think you're a spinnerbait fisherman. No, I'm a fisherman. And I don't care what I catch them on. I like to catch them. So I like to have a Kitek grub. I like to have a, a big swim bait. I like, to have, uh, I like to have frogs. I like to have everything. So my boat 
weighs 15,000 pounds for all the stuff I got. I mean, I got boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes. And I mean, how does an average guy that works and he don't fish every single day and he don't spend three and four or five hours every day up in his boat organizing stuff, how does he keep up with all this stuff? Man, it is an overload. So somewhere there's got to be some purging to get this thing where a guy can figure out what the heck he, he needs and what he don't need. Cause it, it's man, I got more stuff in my boat right now than I've ever had in my life. And <laughs> I'm not competing. I'm just trying to catch a bass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it definitely seems nowadays the guys that are able to simplify their tackle and just focus on the actual catching of the bass that seem to do better than the guys that are scrambling trying to get every bait known to man. For sure. Yeah, it is really a challenge, and uh, and I think that's going to get more challenging. You know, I fish with a lot of these high school kids, and that's important to me, and I spend a lot of time, and I, I try to evaluate when I go out on the water with them and kind of see where they are. And I'm, I'm a lot uh, more comfortable with a kid that gets in my boat that's got a handful of baits, and he knows how to use those baits, than I am a kid that gets in my boat with uh, – 45 soft boxes and three big hard boxes and just loads. I mean, he's got everything that Bass Pro's got. Uh, but he don't know when and how and what. You know, a fishing lure is really a tool. And you got to be able to evaluate the structure and choose the right tool to do the job. And when, when you've got so much information that these kids get off their handheld devices but they don't understand the full story behind all of it. And then they see all these lures and all these colors and all these things that's available, man, these kids have got more stuff and it really is a deterrent rather than an asset. It really works against them. They've, they've got an overload. And uh, I think we got to work on that. I think we got to work on that as an industry because the last thing we need, is kids to be involved in high school and then when they get out of school they quit and they don't fish anymore yeah i i I think like from a teaching standpoint you hear some people try to when you go back to basics where it's let's get a jig let's get a moving bait and maybe you know a top water and then let's just go learn the basics of a bass whereas if you try to jump full bore into like you see some people that try to just jump into it buy so much tackle everything they see in front of them they're buying and they're so focused on that that they forget the most important part part about fishing is understanding how bass behave because if you don't know how to behave you're not going to catch them and a lot of times too it comes down to like simplifying your color selection like something that mimics a bluegill so your green pumpkins watermelons black and blues and something that mimics a shad and you're going to catch bass yeah i've always said that we have our color is important but it's not nearly as important as most people categorize it. You know, if you're going down and you meet a guy on the lake and you're catching fish and he's not catching them, uh, and and he says, hey, man, you having any luck? Yeah, yeah, I'm catching them pretty good. Oh, really? How you catch them? I'm cranking. Uh, he should say, what are you cranking? How deep is it going? Is it a tight wiggling bait or is it a wide wobble? Uh, are you hitting the bottom? What kind of structure are you fishing around? But usually the second question is, what color? 
That's a great point. You know, that ought to be about the eighth question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you just look at forage and contrast, and that you can pretty dull down your, your color selection for sure. Yes, sir. Yeah. Andy, anything left for Hank here before we hit him with our last question of the night? Well, I was going to say, like, just to kind of, like, touch on that point a little bit more, I feel like as these bait companies and tackle companies and retailers purchase more product to sell, companies have to make more colors to catch the eye of people. So it's more like a clothing store when it comes to lure shopping, right? Like they come up with all these fancy colors and different twists on pinks and purples just to catch the eye of the consumer so that they can move more product possibly because it catches the eye. And we as humans love something that has a lot of pop and contrast to it. So automatically we're drawn to these colors of baits that, won't necessarily work all the time as such as like the natural ones. But um, I want to go down like memory lane with you real fast, Hank. Back when you were on the Bass Tour and all the other tournament series, shotgun starts. How much of a thrill was that when there's like 80 boats going down the lake? And do you have any like memorable moments like on a tight river system, like where fog came in and you're like rubbing rub rails running down the lake at 50 miles an hour? Oh, I have so many of those stories where we were bumping boats doing 50 miles an hour, you know, and throwing rooster tail and the guy in front of you throw a rooster tail and just wipe you out and you can't see and then you got a boat beside you and boats behind you, you can't stop. Just hold on. Oh, it just gets crazy. But the worst deal I was ever in in my life was in 1983, the Bassmaster Classic on the Ohio River. They held us and they held, I was in the first flight. They held us and they held us and they held us. And all of a sudden, uh, about two hours late, we we're going to take off at seven o'clock. It's about now five minutes after nine. It is clear as a bell. I believe Harold Sharp was still the tournament director in 1983. And so at that time, we did like 14 boats in a flight. So we all 14 lined up and they shot the shotgun and we, we blasted off. We all 14 were going down river and it was clear and we went around one bend and we hit the next bend. You could not see your hand in front of your face. It was solid fog. Oh Lord. <laughs> and now I've probably got three or four boats behind me, one or two boats in front of me. The Ohio River is full of barges. You don't ever know when a barge is coming. And so here we are running wide open and can't see anything, no GPS maps, nothing. Do you stop and the boat behind you run over you? Do you keep going and run over the boat in front of you? Or are you going to hit the, uh, the bank or a boat or a pier? What in the world do you do? And it was the freakiest thing I was ever involved in. And I just turned to the left and shut down, not completely at one time, but gradual shutdown to the left. 
and I barely got shut down. I could hear other boats running. I could hear other boats shutting down, and I heard the horn of a barge. I had no idea where I was or where he was. It was the weirdest thing, and but nobody got killed. Nobody got hurt. I don't think anybody even got skin up. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez. But it was the worst deal out of every situation I've ever been in. That was the worst deal. It'll take Lake Ontario waves any day over that fog. Oh, yeah. That was a piece of cake. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's something about fog and how, like, it disorientates you, too, because you just don't know. Oh. I'm terrible at that anyway, but I thank God for GPS. I thank uh, thank God for Lake Master Maps, man. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I now I go to a lake. Everything I set my my hummingbirds where anything less than ten foot is red. So I've got I just dodge the red spots. I can go anywhere in the world, never worry about hitting the thing. Man, I hadn't hit ground in four years now. Unless you're at Lake Livingston. Yeah, you can't mark all the stumps. That's the problem. Fancy Cooper can be pretty bad, too. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, man. Well, Hank, uh, I want to say, one, thank you so much for taking time out tonight. This has been so much fun talking with you. Uh, I could sit down here for hours listening to to all the stories. Uh, But our our last question for you for the night, and we'll let you go, is – if you could sit down with three different individuals, um, they could be alive currently or a thousand years ago. Doesn't matter. Any three individuals doesn't even have to be the fishing industry. If you could sit down, have a nice steak and a drink and just pick their brains, chat with them. Who would you invite? I would have number one. I'd have Billy Graham. Billy Graham was my hero. I, I love uh, the the credibility that he he lived with. He spread the gospel, and so I, I would say number one would be Billy Graham. Uh, I, I'd sat down with Forrest Wood. Forrest Wood was one of the most moral, upright, uh, given people that this industry has ever known, or I've ever known outside of this industry. He was just an incredible man. Uh, I love Forrest, and uh, of course, I'd like to have Ray back. Uh, I'd, I'd like to have dinner with Ray Scott. So those, those kind of three guys uh, I, I would pick, and probably in that order. It'd be Billy Graham, it'd be Forrest Wood, and it'd be Ray. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs> the stories. It'd be incredible. Yeah. Well, thank uh, Hank, seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. Really appreciate it. And uh, will you be at Redcrest or the Classic coming up? Uh, I'll be at both. I'm thinking about getting a new job of maybe being a technical expert with cell phones and computers. What do you think? I'd say you're on the right path. Yeah, I'd say it's right up your alley, Hank. <laughs> I got it figured out. That's right. Crest and I'll also be at the Bassmaster Classic. I'll be at the Classic every day. I know I'll be at Redcrest on Saturday. Awesome. I think that's the 11th. Perfect. Well, folks, if you guys are going, obviously keep an eye out for Hank. Uh, do you know what booths or anything like that you're going to you're gonna be at so people can come find I'll be you? At, uh, I'll be at Ranger, and I'll be at uh, Mincota Hummingbird. And awesome. probably Lou's as well. I'll probably be at Lou's as well. Red Crest Saturday and Sunday. 
Okay, Martha just hollered at me. I will be at Fest both Saturday and Sunday. Thank goodness for Martha. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha. <laughs> well, Hank. Uh, By the way, <laughs> that's right. Well, we're uh, we're looking forward to seeing you there. We'll come by and say hello. All right. I hope you do. Thank you for having me, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Heck yeah. We'll talk yeah, to you soon, Hank. Okay, buddy. Take See care. Did. That was awesome. Yes. Uh, I love all of our guests that come on here. We've made some incredible friends uh, on this show. People that, uh, you know, people are going to be in my wedding this year. And that was easily the coolest show I think we've Dude, ever done. The hype was real. Like, <laughs> like when you told me that this show was happening, I was like, what? Like before show, I ran downstairs and I was like, Amanda, I'm so nervous. And Amanda's my awesome <laughs> wife who deals with me and all my fishing craziness. But uh, yeah, I think we both resonate in that. And you got to fish with Hank on a boat. Like you have no reason to be nervous. This is just a podcast. You actually got to fish in the flesh with him on his boat, which had to have just been an absolute unreal experience on that lake in Florida. And I am, it's just unreal. Dude, he like he brings good luck. I stepped on his foot of his boat and it was my first cast, got three pounder. It's like, hey, it just works. <laughs> yes, yeah. But just... uh yeah, dude, it, it was super cool. Uh and what you guys see here, what you guys see on the TV shows is what you guys see in person. Uh and if you're gonna be at Red Crest of the Classic, uh, I hope you guys take the time to go say hello to Hank. Um, awesome dude. Uh like he was talking about Ike earlier and how Ike's really incredible at taking the time to talk with everybody. Hank is the same way. Um, he is an incredible guy, incredible steward of the sport. Really glad to get him on here. Hopefully we can get him on again soon. Um, that would be, you know, it, it started off shaky for everybody stuck that stuck around. Uh, I think that was a really cool show. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we, we battled through technical difficulties, but we made it work for the show. Uh, and that was heck of a lot of fun so hopefully yeah. you guys pre- i don't really know what else to say really after yeah. that andy yeah um i i look forward to chatting with him at Redcrest. so hopefully we can make that happen when he's not surrounded by like two thousand fans at a time yeah. so that'll be that'll be really cool I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down there to charlotte where the weather doesn't look too much warmer but they are colliding with a full moon so you could see some fireworks happen on lake norman the full moon starts march 7th yeah so. that's that's so to circle back where we left off before uh we had hank had to leave us because we were trying to figure out some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show uh for redcrest for us andy and i will be at redcrest from tuesday until monday so we're going to be down there in north carolina for a while so if you're in the area, seriously, slide in the DMs, shoot us an email, uh, whether it's at the show or if you're in the area, we can go grab a beer and some food, uh, holler at us. Um, but for the most part, what we're going to do, uh, Andy and I are getting there on Tuesday. We are going, the goal is to record two to three shows uh, on Wednesday. We're actually going to post up at the launch uh, at Redcrest. All the guys are going uh Last, and we're trying to get some uh, guests in person with us. We're going to announce those to you guys soon when we have those 100% confirmed. And then we will try to uh, uh, try to do two to three shows a day. So we're going to have to try to do two to three shows on, on Wednesday and then two to three on Thursday um, that we can then post for the coming weeks for you guys. Um, the next couple weeks, 
especially through the classic. We're going to have some episodes that go up on days that you guys are not used to. So just fair warning to that. Like we have Chris Lane coming on next, who just won down Kissimmee chain in spectacular fashion. Yeah, we're going on a little string of, uh, what tournament champions right here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And then right after him uh, for Tuesday, we're probably going to do a Tuesday morning show. We're not going to have Tuesday night live next week, guys, because we're going to be at red crest. We have plans that Tuesday evening. So Tuesday next week is going to be a MP3. We'll post that in the morning per our normal Friday episodes. Uh, that's going to be Tyler Rivette, who just had two hot tournaments uh, down in Florida. Great way to start the year. Um, and then we have some more guests, obviously, that we're going to try to get for Redcrest to post throughout the weeks coming because we're going to be at the Classic. Uh, Deacon and I will be. Andy, unfortunately, will not be at the Classic. Deacon and I are going to record at the Classic in the X2 booth. Uh, so if you're going to be at, at the Classic, come by the X2 power booth. We'll be there as well as uh, at Blackfish. Uh, and we'll stop by as well as at Hobie Eyewear. So those, that's where you can find us. I'll be floating around from uh, Humber, Minkota, as well as you know, pure fishing, all that jazz. But majority will be at X2. Uh, we're going to have shows for there to post throughout that week. We're going to have guys in person at the Classic for shows then. Uh, and we'll have probably have a, a week or two afterwards. Where we'll let those shows play for you guys because I'm traveling down to St. Cooper for a tournament. And who knows? I mean... I went and fun fished on the way home from that and seeing what that cell service was, we're going to have a show stockpiled for you guys while I'm gone. So that, uh, so please be patient with us while we're, uh, working through the tournament schedule and traveling. And, um, in, in about 17 days I will be moving. So who knows what my internet situation is going to be like. So it's going to be a, a hectic couple weeks. Yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on the shows, but moving forward, uh, Andy and I are making a, a hard effort at making sure that, you know, when Andy's moving and I'm at tournaments or Andy's in a strict guide week, uh, that we have shows ready for you guys. So that it might not be live shows, but you guys will have shows. It'll still be the Tuesday, Fridays, um, or we'll just uh, post them as usual on Wednesdays. We might even have a three episode week. Uh, in the coming weeks once we do a bunch of shows at red crest and classic so regardless we'll let you guys know uh we'll have either like a little prelude before the show starts or talk about it in the intro outro we'll keep you updated on when those are going to be and obviously you'll get notified when those post um so hope you guys enjoyed today's episode this was this was super cool cannot thank hank enough and big shout out to uh jordan and martha for helping hank get yeah. set up tonight yeah for real they were the yeah. champs the mvps if you will um, but, uh, again, guys, if you guys want to get a serious angler hat, I saw some people commenting, uh, in the comments that they're going to grab one wearing one color. I'm a noggin. We got another khaki one and we have one that's all black. Yep. Um, and you can go right to the website and order them there. And there's all kinds of cool apparel on there and like cell phone cases and koozies and coffee cups and thermoses. Like hoodies. we have a lot of really cool stuff coming down the road too. So make sure you stay tuned in for that because i'm really excited for some of like the dangler stuff that's coming that's gonna be fun i hope i didn't ruin anything by mentioning yeah. that that's coming real soon real yeah. soon so people will be able to get it just in time for uh ice coming out uh if that gives any sort of clue but uh we'll have that and we'll try to get like for people that like sun hoodies we're gonna try to get some serious angler themed uh blackfish sun hoodies those angler sun uh, hoodies from blackfish is literally the only thing that i wear like beyond like if I'm pretty outside, much saying when I'm on the water, yeah. those things are incredible. 
yeah, that's the only thing I wear. I mean, shoot, like even just working throughout the day, it's blackfish. That's what I'm wearing. Uh, and guys, they have new stuff coming, some really sick stuff coming at the Classic. So stay tuned for that. We'll post it on our socials. But if you're going to be at the Classic, highly encourage you guys to get over to the Blackfish booth because they have some pretty sick stuff that uh, I am really looking forward to. Um, but uh, so we had a question, uh, ZOD Gaming, name a website. The website to get all of our gear, hats, etc. That is seriousanglernetwork.com. It's in the show notes. So if, you, if you're if you watching this on YouTube or um, Facebook, if you're on YouTube, it's in every show notes. So if you go down the sh- to the description of the video, uh, it'll say, it'll show you our website. Uh, same with MP3. If you're on Spotify, Apple, just click the show notes or the show description. It'll have a link to that. Um, and then lastly, um, Facebook. If you're if you're watching on Facebook, you can just go to our main uh, our Facebook page, and it'll have on the sidebar of our have our email or message, and it'll have a website link. And the website will take you to all the different links we have. And just click the first one. It'll it'll bring you right to our website. So it's all over the place. Um, Adam, shipping to Canada is weird for our apparel, but for hats, we can make it happen. I was um, saying, Adam, too, if you want to order it and not ship it, when I see you in, I believe it is May, I can get it to you. So oh, there you go. we can Take make mine. that work as well. So we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, but like Anthony Geist is saying to you, Dogwoods are blooming. Things are shaking up. Uh, I got my fishing fix in so, thus far. Uh, the addiction's back, and uh, the season's basically full-fledged. The boys were smoking them on Clark's Hill today for the Invitationals. Uh, so it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great stuff coming. Really excited. Uh, and I'm honestly, Andy, I'm riding off a, a, a pretty spectacular high off this episode. Appreciate everybody. Do you got anything else before we sign off here? Uh, I just want to throw it out there. If you do really want to go on a guide trip and catch some giant smallmouth on artificial lures, I'm not a dragon shiners type of guide or crawfish. I only have five days left in May and five days left in June that I'm willing to book. I did just open up a bunch of electronics classes. So if you are in the Western New York or Finger Lakes area, send me a message and I can give you pricing on that to help you get your graphs dialed. So you're not missing the minor details on the water. So you can put more fish in the boat, but um, we are going to be opening up July and August here pretty soon. I do have not limited dates, but um, I'm only going to be offering 10 dates in July and August per month. So if you are interested in going out over the summer, because I do want to hop in and fish some tournaments this summer. I only got to fish four last year, and I I for sure miss the derby feeling of waking up at 2.30 in the morning, driving two hours and fishing. Like, there's just, I'm dying for it. So we're going to be doing yeah. that more. I'm obsessed with it. And speaking of tournaments, for folks, uh, if you guys want to see the first Chasing Hardware episode of the year, uh, my practice video from Harris Chain tournament that I had two weeks ago will go up tomorrow night. Is this the video channel. that made you fall in love with Florida fishing? No, this is a video that made me hate Florida fishing. <laughs> uh, the video that, that made me love Florida fishing is already out on my YouTube channel, Be the Fish. Again, that's linked down in the show notes for you guys if you want to go check it out. Um, but yeah, that's going up. Chasing Hardware, first one of the year for 2023 is going up tomorrow night if you guys want to check it out. But uh, Andy, I don't think there's anything else to cap this off with. Folks, 
We appreciate every single one of you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And we'll see you guys on Friday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.